0: this podcast features discussions about finances and money which are general in nature for personal advice specific to your circumstances see a licensed financial planner or relevant qualified professional Welcome along to another episode of Looking Under the Hood. I'm Scott Malcolm and we are here to unpack the money stuff. Now today we're taking a little bit of a journey down the financial literacy and money stress path. So I'm excited that I've got Dr. Tracy West with me from Griffith University who has Done heaps of research and is really passionate about this subject. So I'm really uh, excited to um, talk to Tracy, unpack what uh, what some of the findings are that, that Tracy's discovered along the way, um, and hopefully throw in a few tips and, and traps for people who are on their own financial journey. So welcome along, Tracy. Great to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me, Scott.
0: What is one of your early happy or joyous memories when it comes to the money stuff?
1: I have had to think about this, and I found it really hard to remember those childhood experiences, actually. (laughs) Um, I wasn't really conscious of um, my parents making decisions about money, other than I knew that I couldn't get this and that Mm. at Christmas time, (laughs) and everyone else seemed to have more than I did. Um, But in the 80s, my dad moved us to Papua New Guinea, Three children, three young children. Um, we yeah. up in, we had two weeks' notice, and we moved to Papua New Guinea. And with hindsight, I know wow. that that was the time when interest rates were really high on home loans in Australia, and my parents are really struggling. And apparently, they didn't know how they were going to make ends meet. So he took a, a high-paying accountancy oh job in Papua New Guinea and, and moved us. And it's a great. It was a great risk. Um, But while we were up there, we got Mm. holidays for the first time. And when we moved back to Australia, we got a pool. Um, So that's when I really started to be more aware of that um, risk, return, money, um, how sometimes you have to make deliberate choices to um, provide for your family and that financial stability and security. Um, But it was a a really huge thing in my life.
0: (laughs) We, we often talk about this on, on the podcast, like it is that uh, experiential journey when it comes to money and we, we, again, human beings, we pick up things as we, we go along and, and some of these will be aware of, some of them won't come into awareness until later in life.
1: Be a a generational thing, too, right? Like some generations Mm. do not talk to their children or do not know how to talk about money, even, and that's a really taboo subject. And you don't want to let other people know that you're having difficulties, especially if you're an accountant. Mm. You know, that's your profession to manage money Mm. and to let other people know that you're struggling can affect your status or your self confidence. So I think that. Hopefully our generation and the generations that will come after us will know more about how to ask for help, how to talk about money, and that will make things easier. And I think it will reduce stress.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I think um, before we jump into some of the research stuff that you've been looking at, but I think that's a really good point because generationally, we are in one of these most amazing times. I mean, there's um, Finfluencers, and you look at Twitter or jump into Reddit, and you can find a wealth of information. And again, I'm not saying go and get your financial advice from Reddit or Twitter. Please, <laughs> please do that with caution. But I even remember when I started in this industry in the in the early 2000s, like 2001. Just getting to be able to access investment or product or information, it was such a big thing to have to jump through. And so, hopefully, as you say, younger generations or our, our generations are, are talking more about money. It's less of a taboo subject. Um, when people are experiencing difficulty, they're actually happy to say, um, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm not okay. It's okay, but mm-hmm. I'm not okay. What, what's some of the stuff that you've you've looked at? Do we do we start by even just sort of saying, what is, what's financial literacy? Should we start there? I'm in your hands today, Tracy. I know I shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> <be hosting. laughs>
1: So financial literacy, that term, has been around for um, over a decade now. And we started from the point of pure knowledge of financial concepts. And there was a key American researcher that came up with three questions to help measure financial knowledge. And these questions revolved around knowledge of compound interest, the effect of inflation on your savings, and diversification. They're the three main questions, and those questions are actually really simple, um, but do a really good job of distinguishing mm. people that are aware of financial language and some of those mathematical components of making money and those that don't. So those questions have been released in a number of surveys, and we generally find a few patterns in those responses. So generally, don't people don't... Uh, I'm not good at getting all three questions correct. Um, older people tend mm. to answer them better than younger people. Men tend to answer them better than women. So those patterns persist mm. in these surveys around the world. And since that initial work, we've moved on to broadening that concept into an understanding of financial skills, so knowing how to compare and contrast products or features of products, uh, how to save how to pay off debt or recognize um, the fees and costs of interest associated with debt. So, reading those terms and conditions and uh, a whole range of other things. And so, we've broadened that understanding of financial literacy to include those skills and attitudes towards savings and long term planning and, um, and those sorts of measures. And then, more recently, we talk about financial well being, which is a whole other thing altogether, which includes. Mm-hmm sort of your your current financial stress and expectations of the future. So you can be financially stressed now, but be optimistic about your future financial circumstances. And that can lead into this really different measure of financial well-being. So that's how the research has progressed in trying to understand this. And once we understand this in the data, then we can better equip people to be helped.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And and I'm sure that then feeds into organizations who work in the in the money space I mean we um, I've been passionate about financial literacy and education and empowerment for for years and so we run uh, education programs uh, online a bit of a shout out to uh, laneway learning in Melbourne and Canberra Institute of Technology in in the ACT but I think it's so true just some of that data is really good to um, help impact policy potentially and even the work that that ASIC might be doing uh, with their money smart website and just really trying to help people um, to, to build up some of those skill sets. What's some of the most interesting things that you've found, I guess, on your journey in this, this research space? And obviously, again, you've looked at a range of different things, but when it comes to sort of the financial stress or, or uh, financial literacy elements, what, what are some of the most interesting things that you've uh, unpacked or discovered?
1: Yeah, with regard to financial stress, I mean, the COVID-19 pandemic has really exacerbated a lot of those stresses, but many households are financially stressed in an ongoing basis. And those households might be who you predict they are, like um, those that are unemployed, for example, or are experiencing very low incomes and don't have much assets. They are definitely financially stressed. But also we find that medium to high-income households can declare themselves to be financially stressed if they're not able to meet their obligations. And that can that's a whole other set of circumstances in terms of keeping up with the Joneses or living in expensive areas and and all those other expectations that you can have when you're in that income bracket. So as a society, I think there are a number of things uh, to unravel there about what we expect, our consumer behaviour, our need for things and um, expectations or entitlements that we might have. And I do like to talk about this. So I teach um, behavioural finance and we like to talk about these sort of issues in our class. And also when I was doing a recent survey actually on COVID, on university students in COVID, I had surveyed them in 2019 and then I surveyed them again in 2020, really expecting a high deterioration in their current financial circumstances Mm. because of all the job losses. And that they, you know, we saw the queues outside of Centrelink and crashing job markets, and I thought, wow, they're going to be really depressed. But actually their financial Mm well-being increased and they were optimistic about their future. Yeah, wow. And and they had readjusted, actually, in the survey we found their their financial beliefs a little bit. So they didn't value um, financial status and owning things as much as they did before, which was really interesting.
0: Yeah, wow. That behavioral stuff, yeah, is so important and um, so fascinating because, as I agree, I would expect that, um, especially because university students probably more connected into the gig economies, more connected into casualized workforces. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. And one of the things I worry about is that people are getting themselves into truck tons of debt at the moment because interest rates are low and not necessarily thinking about okay, interest rates will potentially go up again because again for most of my life interest rates have been falling. And so we're now going to have a period where they might start to go up and so that's potentially going to start to cause future income stress if if interest rates go up. So is there anything in the research or anything you've discovered on on that front around sort of where some of those stresses do come from for for families? In in those regard, or that situation?
1: Well, I'll I'll talk to the financial literacy aspect of that. So these households Mm. that have the opportunity to earn higher incomes and have some assets and then have the opportunity to borrow for their investment properties and acquire this debt, um, that can be good financial literacy, right? Sometimes we talk about good debt. Mm. and And those purchases enable their financial literacy and skills to build because you're having the opportunity to... Think about what the interest rates would be, um, forecast them into the future, perhaps, uh, read through the legal documents. You know, that's all financial literacy building experience that households that don't do that are omitted from. So that's a whole other issue about housing affordability. Mm. Um, but what I do know is that we do we're not good at forecasting. And you know, in finance, we say that the past does not predict the future. But in general, as humans, we are really bad at forecasting the future and understanding probability. And we can be and we are optimistic. So we may think about interest rates rising, but we might not think it's a problem for us or something to worry about later on. Mm. But yes, I, sh- I share those same concerns as you. And... Honestly, I think we do have to rely on the RBA and the regulators to help modify and control this because we're going to go, if the opportunity is there, these people are going to take the risk and go for it. And, mm. you know, they benefited from it at the moment with these low interest rates and in Queensland, hot, rising property prices. Um, so until they learn a tough lesson and the regulators step in to limit mm. this, it's all going to unfold.
0: Yeah, so that'll be the the research report from uh, 2026, I imagine.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's probably true, Scott. (laughs) So we Mm, do know that financial literacy matters. And for people that don't have good incomes or assets, they are excluded from these opportunities to learn and build their skills. And it's not necessarily their own doing. Um, These can be structural issues within our society. Mm. But financial education in schools in workplaces, access to free advice, like the financial counselling services, the ASIC resources, like you mentioned on Money Smart, I do wanna give a plug to them. They are great resources, but unfortunately many people are not aware of them. So I think we all have to do a better job of referring to these freely available resources as a first point of contact for people, and then they can jump from those resources to get more information. Um, I know as well Centrelink are doing more work with their financial information services offices to help their clients get the advice that they need to. So there are good things happening, um, but it is really difficult. And I think for us in the finance industry, we can, you know, just be aware that we can give back, share information and help people to improve their skills. But the one thing I think that I can share with you that people can do... Hmm. is to develop a good savings habit. And that is not always easy when you are very limited with your resources, but even that 50 cents a week, a dollar a week can really help to build your emergency savings and having that bit of confidence, that insurance in your back pocket to deal with the car breaking down or paying the excess on the insurance policy or, or the bill that comes in really helps people with their well-being, financial security and resilience that's the one most important thing that we can do is build a good savings habit.
0: Um, It's so true because, again, as that experiential thing, if you'd never saved before, it's actually just about starting. And as you say, even if it's just 50 cents or a small amount, that habit builds over time. And it's a way of sort of building that financial muscle, uh, so to speak, and also uh, immerses you a little bit more into the jargon that does exist in this industry. Like There is so much jargon out there when it comes to the money stuff. And so that's often a barrier to entry. Um, I'm a big lefty at heart as well. So um, I I really want to ask you, what are some of the barriers to financial education and literacy?
1: I focus a lot on financial literacy and gender, women in particular. Mm. Um, Because when we are measured on our financial literacy ability, we tend to score fairly low. When we're given those questions, actually, if there's an opt-out choice, we take it. So if it says an unsure answer, we tend to Cheers, that one. So we really demonstrate a lack of confidence in the financial terms and knowledge and the mathematical components of it. And we see this with women across the mathematical domain in education, generally speaking. They, they say they can't do maths. And that is an intergenerational thing. So the mothers, the grandmothers oh, have wow. passed that down to, to generations. And we hear our female celebrities will say it on the radio, on the TV all the time even senior Mm -hmm. leaders in government or others will say it and this really frustrates me i'm like just don't say it women are not bad at managing money actually we are excellent
0: totally like more often than not it is the the female in a in a uh, heterosexual couple it's a female who's driving that conversation for, for m- most of my clients like they're the one dragging their husbands into to sit with me and go hey we need to talk about this money stuff come on let's let's go along so I did love your report about boosting women and I'll, I'll put a link to some of the, the research and the reports that you've done um, out there because I think that is such a big thing because we know statistically and otherwise, like women are more likely to potentially be homeless in retirement, which is actually quite heartbreaking. Like um, going from a, a care and support role, raising families, raising kids, maybe getting divorced and then ending up homeless at retirement is just devastating. But anyway, sorry, another rabbit hole that I'm, I'm taking us down today. I'll let you get back to what you were saying.
1: Well, I've been down that rabbit hole myself and I, I had a paper published earlier the year on um, on women and divorce. Actually it was financial literacy in divorce. And we found that women did recover, Well, actually more financially literate women actually did better in the years following divorce than the financially literate men, which was really interesting, I thought. Um, so for women, this mm. financial knowledge really boosts us. We really know what to do with that information and we are so good at it. Um, but many women are managing these, these trade-offs between needs and wants on a daily basis within limited budgets. We know what to do, we have the skills. It's The metrics aren't right, is what I'm going to say. And also sometimes the financial literacy curriculum or the maths in schools, how that is taught is not always ideal either. So when we're talking about financial literacy in schools, it can be embedded in the maths curriculum in terms of learning compound interest formulas and calculations and loan repayments. They are mathematical uh, calculations with a correct answer and that is not often our lives. We are, are making choices between different products and decisions. There can be different right answers depending on the context. So myself and some others are working on this in terms of the math curriculum and seeing how we can embed stories in there to show all the different options and complexity that can go into making money decisions to help build the skills.
0: Oh, fantastic. I love that. And is that, through storytelling, is it is, is there certain measures or certain actions or activities people can be taking? Does the research sort of point in those directions?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say that we're there yet. Um, mm. So from my if I put my behavioural finance hat on, actually, I would focus on regulation, actually, and a better curriculum to help improve it. So I know from my background that, People have a lot of biases, emotional biases, cognitive biases. Plus, the way that information is presented to us is often not easy to digest. It's complex. And if it's um, a product provider providing us with this information, it is framed in a particular way. So I advocate a lot for um, regulation to step in to to prescribe how information can be summarised and presented um, in a standardised format. That is um, my true belief, and we're getting there in some industries. Like the energy sector, has a standardised template now where they have to provide information to consumers. But we've got a, a fair way to go, I think, in insurance in particular. Mm. It's really hard to understand and digest. But there are steps, and I think ASIC is is active in this space. So um, I wouldn't criticise them. But I still think we have a way to go to know the secret to success, if that's what you mean. I think that we just need to understand there are are a whole different range of needs of of how people need to learn this and we need to provide different options.
0: Um, Any stories or any um, in relation to some of the research, like is there certain things from financial literacy or financial stress perspective that um, were really interesting that you found?
1: Well, that takes me thinking about my most research project, which was going into some schools to talk to high school students about what they recalled learning about money in the classroom. Uh, And that was a really fascinating experience. Um, So it took some prompting to get most of them to recall compound interest calculations and loan repayments. Um, But when we sort of refocused the conversation about soon to be moving out of home and making all these decisions for yourself and, you know, what do you... How do you think you're going to, are you well equipped to make these decisions about renting, sharing accommodation, buying food and managing a budget, your income, um, moving in with a partner, some of them as well, buying a car. Um, they started to think about it more seriously and really realised that they need to get their act into gear a little bit and give these things some thought. Many of them were willing or intending to move out of home pretty quickly after they finished school, actually, which was a a bit of a surprise. And when we talked to them about where they had learnt about any money issues or concepts or things at all, they were learning some things from their parents. Obviously, that is the most important place, source of information for most of them. But we were really surprised at how many students lived with... a alternative carers, so not one of the main parents or a single parent, and then how this changed their focus on money and experience of money, and they were motivated to work to help contribute to the family expenses. Um, So for those people in those alternate sort of circumstances, they are really cognizant of financial difficulty, and sometimes that can motivate them to want a better life for themselves when they are financially independent. So it really has a like a career skills approach to money that I hadn't thought of before, and maybe the place mm-hmm. within schools can be mm-hmm. in that career coaching. And um, there's also obviously a lot of talk about jobs and study post school but Mm. is there conversations about managing your money post school when you are these young adults and you are faced with making all these decisions i remember myself scott at moving out of home to go to university and i was so excited it was awesome Mm. but then i lived on frozen (laughs) pasties and i lived with someone i I didn't know (laughs) so that i could afford to do fun things on the weekend But it was such a rite of passage and I really appreciate that Mm. experience. I think it really does teach you to manage the money and and deal with the old car, you know, that you have to climb in the window to open and all that sort of stuff. (laughs) It's good fun. Exactly right. So, yeah, yeah, I I think that my mind is turning to, you know, how do I give back? How do I help schools and teachers develop their own financial Mm. literacy skills so that they can Have stories or content or other ways of teaching this in school. That's really important to me.
0: So yeah, and I'm really excited about all that, Tracy, because I guess in schools, uh, educating people more, uh, where I've been excited because we've been approached by so many businesses and employers lately to offer financial wellbeing training to their staff members. So I think it's definitely a, a dialogue that is continuing and happening. And so um, I'm excited to hear about your research as you, or the, what you develop as you start to look at some of these other elements further as well. So that's really exciting.
1: Scott, I am so excited to hear about a workplace financial well-being program too. I mean, it's the way that we can access adults in their workplace. They're earning the income. Let's help them build the skills to help manage the income that they're earning. I love that. Let me know yeah. how you go with that. <laughs>
0: I will let you know. And I'm really excited, as I say, that more employers are doing it and, and approaching it. And it's such a, again, if you create a safe space, people can have these really open dialogue and and know that it's a shared experience. Like this money stuff is a learnt behaviour and it's a it's a journey rather than a destination. And as you've said in your research, like it is about sort of um, uh, knowing where you're at but being able to to step into those different spaces. And sure, there are some other barriers to entry that we've, we've potentially got to deal with, but that's probably another podcast episode that we can... Um, regroup on again but thanks so much tracy i've really enjoyed the conversation today and i'm sure our listeners will get a lot out of that
1: thanks for having me scott
0: thanks for listening folks i hope you've enjoyed this episode and if you are liking us please give us a rating on apple podcasts see you soon